This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by the Policeman's Benevolent Association Orchestra. Conductor, Bob Cobb. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 80. Today's guest wrote the season five premiere episode of Seinfeld, The Mango, Lawrence Levy. Thank you for listening. If you dig it, please pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at This Thirsty. Follow us on Instagram at This Thirsty. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Email us at this podcast is making me thirsty at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Episode 80, Lawrence Levy. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty, the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This is episode 80. Today's guest is a novelist, an award-winning film and TV writer, a Writers Guild Award winner, and a two-time Emmy nominee. He has written several acclaimed mystery novels. He's written for various hit TV shows, such as Roseanne, Family Ties, and Who's the Boss? And of course, he's the writer of the season five premiere episode of Seinfeld, The Mango. Please welcome Larry Levy. Larry, thanks for joining. Hi, guys. <laughs> Good to be hey, here. Hey, Larry. So well, welcome to this podcast, Make Me Thirsty. And so take us back, right? So early 80s, you were writing for Fantasy Island. Love Boat, a variety of um, sitcoms. Before we get to the mango specifically, how did the whole relationship um, with the Seinfeld machine, if you will, come about? Well, to be quite honest, uh, I know Larry from way back. Uh, I started out as an actor, and in about six or seven years or so, I switched to writing, but I uh, really, eight or nine years, really. But uh, when I graduated from the Neighborhood Playhouse, where I studied acting after college, uh, I got the uh, I got a job working for Pfizer Corporation on an antitrust suit, where you'd go through all this correspondence, ridiculous correspondence, as to whether they were fixing prices or not, and they were, and they eventually settled. But Larry was doing the same thing, and it was great for somebody who was in show business because you could come in any time during your 24-hour day and log in hours and they pay you so you could do a play you could go to auditions you had a lot of freedom so it was the perfect job and it, for that time it paid well it's almost paid like as much as a paralegal but we weren't right. paralegals right so that's where i met larry you know oh wow and so it wasn't it wasn't even in the in the business in the, in the, in the, no, Larry had, uh, he graduated, I think, with the University of Maryland. Yep. And uh, he was there, you know, because he knew somebody with the law firm and he got a job that way. And uh, he, he is, I was, uh, we, we recommended an acting teacher for him, a guy by the name of Bill Esper, who became very big in New York as an acting teacher, because, you know, he worked with Sandy Meisner, who was at the Neighborhood Playhouse, and, and he went to study with Bill. And then he started doing stand-up, 
around the time we were working there, actually. Okay. So we'd go to his shows at the improv and stuff like that. And it was a lot of fun. So you met you met Larry, I guess, in the seventies? Is that just to get the, the timeline? 70s. Yeah, that's how old I am, yeah. <laughs> wow. So you that's guys just, too, so okay. Yeah, listen. So you guys just stayed in contact and then obviously you kind of <laughs> broke into the the, the same business, if you will, him doing stand up and you doing a little bit of acting and then, then switching. You know, it's to funny because I, I told this story when I got my Writers Guild Award for the Mango. <laughs> and uh, Larry and I got let go the same day <laughs> at this place. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the other guys there were like overcharging hours and breaking in all this dough because it was a scam because the, the, the law firm that hired us for this were making three times as much as they were paying us. So they didn't care if we charged ridiculous hours. Right. And we told Larry that and Larry said, Oh, wow, I haven't been doing that. And he just started. And two weeks after he started charging extra money, he and I both got let go. <laughs> and I was leaving to go. They gave us two weeks notice. I was leaving to go to Hollywood anyway, because that's where I wanted to go. And Larry looked at me and he said, I'll be in the Hudson tonight. He <laughs> <laughs> was over it. But uh, obviously, thing turns out pretty well for him. Right. Uh, so, so at what point were you sending scripts in uh, prior to the mango? Um, as well, ideas? you know, I, I pitched to him a couple of times. It's very difficult pitching to Larry because right. he had very specific things that he wanted to do. He used to say to me, Larry, think of something that a human will do that's despicable and low. And that's the kind of show we want to do. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's, that's it. That's George, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. And so uh, finally, I, I can't remember when it was, it might've been in December of the year before it premiered. I called them up and I said, Larry, I've got an idea for you. Uh, how about if Elaine tells Jerry that all the time they were dating, she never had an orgasm and the ensuing things. Then he wants another shot, you know, all the other things that happen. Right, right, right. And um, he said, he said almost like he paused for about five seconds and says, we got to do this. And so that's how the mango eventually came about. I mean, I, I had earlier pitched a story that he said was just a B story. It was based on something that happened to my brother in Manhattan about getting banned from a fruit store. Oh, interesting. You know? So uh, he put that together with this main story. And then I came up with the idea also about uh, George dating this woman. Uh, and all of a sudden he couldn't get it up and the mango helped him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know <laughs> was that personal experience the mango itself the fruit no, that something no that's, that's no it, no no it's a bunch it's a bunch of bs it's right 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 but 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 the point is um for the record larry i've been eating mango ever since all right <laughs> <laughs> well, how's it going for you then chris yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty good but so uh, you know and that happened and you know to be fair larry had a lot of input in this you know, and uh, he's a great guy and a very talented. And um, so that's how it came about. 
And, you know, and Seinfeld was different than other half hour shows. And then another half hour shows when you do a script and it comes to the table, everybody joins in on the rewrite mm. where Larry did the rewrites by himself. Yeah, that's what we've gathered. Um, yeah, so that that's much different than, you know, 10 guys throwing in ideas, you know. It was, Larry worked his butt off for that show. He killed himself, and as he does on Curb, also. Right. The um, you know, the, the contest and the outing had already aired in season four. So right. we were talking about you know season five. You know, you're talking about faking orgasms and and, and, and yeah. you know not you know not performing things like that. It's little for you know prime time, but at that point they already had the outing and and. Um, the contest uh, was the opening. God, right, exactly. So in your was that did that come into play at all in your mind as far as like now I can do this story or it just happened to be like oh definitely. God. Yeah, okay. I thought so. <laughs> definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, once they went to the contest, I said, Well, yeah. why not take another step further, you know? <laughs> and uh so uh I, I knew it was possible. I, I didn't know Larry would like it. You know, it turned out. And I wind up, uh, we wound up, you know, beating it out. It was Larry, myself, Jerry was in the room part of the time. And so was Larry Charles. Oh, and that's, Charles, uh, yeah, Larry was in there know. too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, like unpack that a little bit first, Larry. So you made the call to Larry David. You said you had this idea about Elaine yeah. not having the orgasms. You had a couple other thoughts about the mango and George. And then also the idea of your brother getting banned. Right. So like, did you like what did you actually did you write that down or was that all kind of just you guys? Got no, to... he just said, "Come on in." Oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he and then he, who, he bought he that short it? pitch. He bought it on that short pitch because he knew we could make a good show out of it. And, and then he's he's the one who's actually writing the script. No, no, I, I wrote the I wrote a first draft and then okay. he did a second draft. Tub is love, Larry. Yeah, was that where, you? <laughs> where did Tub is love come in? <laughs> I have to say that was Larry's line. Oh, All right. Uh, uh, I mean that conversation. I, I wish it was mine, but <laughs> it, it, it wasn't. Um, so you know, he. So I I came in and and we beat out the story. He and I and uh, Jerry. Jerry was eating his cold cereal, you know, he's, a, he's big on cereal. Uh, and uh, Larry Charles came in and out. He was slightly part of it, mainly just listening, but Larry's a talented, Larry Charles is a very talented guy. Mm -hmm. And then I went off and I believe, I'm trying to remember because it was a while ago. Right. Uh, I think I went straight to script instead of writing a treatment or an outline first. Uh, so I guess then, you can, you know, I guess you can speak to that because you know your writing credits are are obviously you know they span decades and they span every genre of of TV shows, right? So you know before Seinfeld and every oh, a lot of those shows you wrote on, I, I've watched I watched a lot yeah. of TV as I was a kid, right? So you kind of figure out the formula, right? They're all kind of like I'm, I'm assuming yeah, that's and, sort of and, what and, you were doing, be, right? But Larry wanted to be non-formulaic right that's that's yeah exactly Very so how much. he wanted how to be that, not yeah. like any other sitcom got it yeah and he accomplished that right. he and jerry accomplished that uh, and uh 
you know, because he said, don't bring me any stories that can be done on any other show. Because I won't. I'll recognize it right away. And I won't do it. So if we're making a list of criteria, it sounds like can't be done. I'll tell you you a funny story. Uh, When I sold my first, when I sold my first novel, excuse me, let me get a second street station, random house (laughs) (laughs) crown. And it's turned into a four book series, the Mary Hanley mystery series. But when I sold my first novel, I'd given Larry uh, the novel to read and he really liked it. And he wrote a nice quote on the book but he said let's go out to lunch and celebrate so i met him for lunch and we were talking because there were several people i was talking to about possibly turning it into a movie or a tv series and and he says well let me tell you what happened with seinfeld did i ever tell you that story and i said no you didn't so he said we did the pilot i wasn't completely happy with it after the notes that i had to take uh, but, you know, I was able to change some of those, but I wasn't completely happy with the pilot. And then we got picked up for five scripts. And Jerry and I wrote the five scripts. And a guy by the name of Fred Barron was put above them as executive producer. And they went in for notes with Fred Barron. And Fred started giving, you know, in TV, you're full of notes whether it's, you know, the executive producer, the production company, the network, you just get it all the time. And uh, he finished this long session of notes over the five scripts. And Larry looked at him and said, no. And Barron goes, what? He says, not one note. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously this caused a big hullabaloo. And before you knew it, Fred Barron was gone and Jerry and Larry were running the show. Wow. And the rest is history. Yeah, and the well, rest that's is a, history. That's what we've Except heard. That, there, there's one more part of that story, a small part. After the five episodes, they go to meet with NBC about the pickup. And they go there with all the Castle Bay people, you know, Rob Reiner and Glenn Padnick. And Rob Reiner and Glenn Padnick take Larry aside before the meeting and say to him, Larry, do me a favor. Just sit there and listen. Don't say anything. Just sit there and listen to what they have to say. We'll talk about it afterwards. So he goes in the meeting and they say, everything NBC wants to do, I don't want to do. And everything they want to get rid of, I want to keep. So they go out of the meeting and he turns to Rob Reiner and Glenn Patnick and says, gee, I hope you guys have a great time doing this show because I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Before you knew it, NBC was out of the picture and they left him alone and he and Jerry did the show the way they wanted to do it. And that very rarely ever happens. Yeah, I mean, we uh, we spoke with Matt Goldman, who's one of the original writers. Um, He he echoed that same sentiment and he actually went on a meeting with Jerry because they didn't want Larry there just because of what you mentioned. (laughs) And Jerry stuck to his gun, said, this is the way we're going to do it. And that's it. So, yeah. but speaking and, you know, of Larry, it helped, it, I got to say, it helped Larry that NBC really wanted to do a show with Jerry Seinfeld. They thought it'd be perfect for a series, his brand of humor. And uh, what's his name? The guy who was head of NBC at the time was a huge fan. Tartikoff? Yeah. 
Yeah, Tartikoff was a huge fan, and he kept that going because the first year or two, that show was not doing very well. It was up against Home Improvement, and it was getting its ass kicked. And then they mm. eventually moved it to Thursday, and it poof, took off like crazy. Oh, the Mango was the first uh, Thursday in nine episode. I know. I've, I'm I'm blessed with that. You know, <laughs> it's funny because I I turned. I said I I wrote when I found out it was going to premiere the season. I turned to my wife and I said, you know. I'm going to get nominated for an Emmy for this. Wow. Just because I just had this feeling they premiere this season, this hot show with my episode. It was just a feeling that I got. And it's what happened, obviously. And I didn't win the Emmy. I lost it to Frasier, but uh, I did beat them for the Writers Guild Award. <laughs> <laughs> or we did beat them, rather. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, so when did, I guess, when did you know... Um, a that it was. I, I know you said Larry loved the idea, but did you know it was going to be like the premiere episode, the nine no, o'clock? No, I didn't. I did not know that. I found that out later. You That's know, uh, I wasn't sure if it was going to be squeezed into this season because it was the season before. I started to write it in December or January, uh, or when it was going to be, and then I found out it was going to be the premiere episode, and I said. You know, that was just my reaction. It turned out to be right, uh, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, because what's interesting is season four was, like, pretty much the only season that was episodic, and then season five, they went back to just, like, individual episodes. So, yeah, to your point, he could have put that anywhere. But just back to Larry for a minute. So you knew him in the 70s, I mean, in your 20s, right? I mean, what type of guy was he then? Did Like, has he changed? I mean, most people say he's kind of... Same Larry, right? He basically is, really. <laughs> I mean, he's always been the same. And, you know, it's interesting about him because it's always it was always been about the work and not about the money. Right. You know, I remember when he, he wrote a screenplay that was optioned by some company. This is before anything happened. And somehow he got into the contract that he was the only one who could do rewrites which is very unusual especially for an unknown writer and then he found out that they had hired somebody to do a rewrite to get it done and he pulled the project from them and he had he didn't have a dime to his name at the time you know so i mean it's always been that about him it's about the work and it's not about it's not about the money not that I'm sure he cares about the money now with the hundreds of millions of dollars that he made up of Seinfeld and Curb. Uh, I wouldn't mind a little of that, but um, he's, you know, that's, it's always, it's always the creative thing with him. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, his creativity is obviously he's a genius. Um, when, when you're, when you're, when you wrote the mango, um, I'm assuming then you're on set for, for the shooting and, and uh is that correct? As far as watching? yeah, I, I was there yeah, for the shoot. right. Um, anything you can tell us there, as far as like you know, we've talked to many, many of the people that were on set talking about how Michael Richards would would be always rehearsing, and then just you know the the, the relationship between uh, Jason and Julia, as far as how, how they acted and things like that. I mean, I'm just curious if you, you've probably been on many, many sets in your time. I'm not sure if you. Um, you know, had with your relationship with Larry even had been on the set for prior to the mango or after it, or just, just for the mango, but maybe you could touch on just kind of watching the, the actors. I went to the original shooting of the pilot. Oh, wow. That was the first thing Larry invited me to that. 
And then I really wasn't on set until the mango again. And uh, I don't have any bizarre, interesting stories <laughs> sure. about the shooting of it. I, I wish I did. No, no, I get it. But what, but interesting about the pilot is what was the just the overall vibe, I would guess, on that one? Because, I mean, it's it's the first show. I mean, there has to be, was there any type of, could you tell that it was going to be something? Or could you tell that it needed to be no, changed? I, I, I really couldn't tell from the pilot, you know. Uh, I, I was overly positive because I wanted, Larry was my friend. I wanted right. to get a series. You right, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> I, I, you know, I wanted the best for him. So I was, you know, I was hoping it would happen. And as it turned out, it did, obviously. Yeah. Um, um. You know, Larry, it's fascinating. We, we touched on it before about your your eclectic, you know, resume of, of shows. Um, for a lot of them, you know, one or two scripts, you just uh, just like, you know, a lot of them across a, a lot of time, but not a not a lot for one series, let's say. Um, I'm assuming, but I'm, I'm trying to get your take on it, like as far as a conscious decision where you like, I just want to be a freelance writer and just submit and work on my own time. Or were you ever looking to be like a no, writer? I, on I, a was, I was on staff on several shows. Oh, okay. I mean, All right. Uh, you didn't always get multiple scripts. Got it. Um, and sometimes those shows fail. Uh, but I mean, I was on some hit shows too. I mean, I did a couple of facts of life. Yeah. I did, um, Three seven 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 heavens. I wasn't on staff on Seventh Heaven, but I wrote three of them, uh, just like I did four Fantasy Islands. I right. Mean, so we'll, I guess but, is what I'm getting at. What's the difference there for you personally, as far as being on staff or just submitting and, and writing? Like, well, I mean, first of all, today there's no more freelance. It's all staff written. Back then there was freelance, so you had some sort of option uh, if you didn't staff. Um, I mean, I ran an animated show for Nickelodeon called Real Monsters. I got nominated for an Emmy for that. Um, we got a pickup for 52 episodes after I ran the first 13. But then I got offered a job in uh, live TV that was paid a lot more. So I was a, married with two kids and I took the live TV job, the staff job. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that happens. Um, I, before I found out whether I could be on staff on Seinfeld, I got offered um, basically what was a two or three year deal on some other place. And so rather than wait and see, which I probably should have done, uh, I grabbed the job because I have a family that I'm, I had kids in private school, you know, I, yeah, there were things I had to take care of. You know, yeah. you know we're, we're also, we're also regular people. <laughs> Families <laughs> have to support them. No, yeah, no, I just, pay, I, you know? first, I was so really big. In, uh, may not be the wisest, <laughs> creative, but uh, you do it for the money, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, the diver the diversity, diversity yeah right? i mean it's incredible from from tattoo to the mango to nickelodeon it's unbelievable but yeah, yeah no now, it's the novels right, on top of then it then writing I mean, incredible historical fiction novels yeah that's that's the part that's you know, like 
that novel, uh, Second Street Station, was the first novel I ever wrote. That's impressive. And the only wow. reason I wrote it is because it was a period piece, and I knew that film at that time would not do a period piece unless you had a major director or star attached. So I did it to write it as a book. And before I knew it, I had four publishing companies vying for it. I mean, I tell other novelists this and they're pissed at me <laughs> because <laughs> this never happens. I was very lucky. It was my first novel and it turned into a four book series. Yeah. So, I guess, yeah. Was not, I mean, was, was writing novels always in the back of your mind while you're writing TV? It's no, a writer. I just, it, it really just, just threw it together just like that. Wow. That's, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just like, just like writing happened. I, I was a, right. I was an actor and wasn't satisfied with where the career was going. You know, I, I did a lot of bits on TV and film and I didn't like that. If I could walk into a casting director's office and they'd look at me and I know right away, whether I picked up the script to read it or not, that I was in a route, you know, cause <laughs> it's such a physical thing. And I said, you know, I always wanted to write, but I, I went to Cornell University. And when I took uh, creative writing there, you know, they would just praise Shakespeare and Hemingway and Fitzgerald to make you feel insecure in that respect. And so I sort of stayed away from it. And when I came out to Los Angeles, I said, well, hell, I can write this. <laughs> and I was very lucky. The first thing I wrote, I sold. Wow. And so just like with the just like with the the novel, the first novel I wrote. And so I said, well, you know, maybe this is something I should be doing. And I really love writing. I wouldn't want to do acting right now. I mean, I just love what I do, you know. And I'm still at it at this age, so that must mean something, I guess. Well, you have a creative mind and uh go big red. But <laughs> to bring it back to the manga, I mean such an iconic episode. We 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 have a full ranking. We ranked the mango thirty third, and again we ranked seasons three and five as the best Seinfeld seasons. Uh -huh. So, uh, just just an incredible episode. So, how involved were you involved at all in casting of uh, like George's girlfriend Karen with the risotto? Like, no, tell I, us I wasn't involved in any of that. I, I yeah. you know it would be nice if I was. Uh, originally, in the original conception. Yeah, of uh, that girlfriend, which got changed. It originally was a girl from out of town who didn't know what she was doing, you know, and he was very big at picking up girls from out of town because he figured he could act like a big shot. You know? George. Uh, but they changed it. She was obviously a New Yorker and fairly wise. And so that they just, I guess they decided that wasn't important enough. You know? What else? Yeah, that's, it's any uh, anything else conceptually that changed that you remember, or did for the most part it stick to to what we saw? Um, you know, obviously lines changed because they always do. Right. Um, the part about George telling the girlfriend that she was faking it and she got pissed and he lost his glasses and couldn't see that was the very beginning that was <laughs> what i had expected to happen right um, you know I mean, there's, kramer, there's, kramer saying kramer saying that he's faked it at times that was yes. in my script I oh mean, nice. that's a perfect kramer always, line you know it was just 
I thought it'd be perfect for Kramer. To it say is. It. That's a perfect Kramer yeah. line. I mean, they they did add, and it was very good that they added. They had that scene with Elaine and the girl, and she asked, "Have you ever faked it?" And Broadway she, show, yeah, yeah, Broadway show, and you know, and uh, and uh, you know, if you're just too tired, and I've had enough. Yeah, <laughs> and they add that to the Kramer thing, right? You know, which so you good, were, but I, you were clearly a. You're clearly a big fan of the show because, like, you wrote these lines like perfectly for you know the characters. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, I guess what were some of your, just as a fan, right, of Larry? What were some of your favorite shows leading up to this that kind of potentially inspired this episode? I know you mentioned the contest. Well, obviously the contest. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I it's it's hard to say because when I look through the shows now you know, because they're in syndication forever and I, and I love it. Um, there's so many funny things in those shows. <laughs> I mean, every show has really terrific stuff. So it's really hard for me. You know, I, I, I will all of a sudden out of the blue quote things to people, you know, from other shows, like when Jerry Stiller and, uh, and Kramer, Michael Richards, are wearing the bro and they're walking around the apartment and he, and he just separated from his wife and she comes walking in and going, Oh my God, what happened? <laughs> Wait for me for a couple of days. And then, you know, I mean, that, that yeah, stuff is Hoover. hilarious. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's so much funny stuff in there, you know, did you, um, did you ever pick up on storylines of, things that happened between you and Larry back in those Pfizer days or did he well, ever you know there, there was stuff. As a matter of fact, at one time I pitched he was a, a chauffeur for an old lady at one point. Which he yes. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard him talk about that. And and one point I, I had pitched him a story about him being a chauffeur. <laughs> <laughs> about George being a chauffeur. Right. But but uh, so he, he a well, lot of that stuff is, I mean, like the character of Kramer, as you guys probably know, there's a Kenny Kramer. Yeah, we talked to him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, who lived <laughs> next door to him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they never knew what he did for a living, you know. And that yeah. was that's how Kramer came about. I think, from what I understand, um. Larry didn't want to name him Kramer or Jerry didn't want to name him Kramer. One of them at one point, because they knew that Kenny Kramer would be involved later, which he did. Right. But uh, it's a great name, you know, so they use yeah. it. So Larry, I mean, the success of the mango, you know, uh, Emmy nomination, writers, writer guild award winner. Um, a lot of fun. Yeah. Were you pitching after that? I mean, anything else that, that you threw Larry's way? I know you said before that you had done it. I mean, was there anything that, uh, any ideas, um, maybe that I didn't pitch him anything else after that. I mean, like I said, I was probably pretty much busy to the end of Seinfeld, you know, working on staff on shows. Right. Um, uh, they weren't, unfortunately, they didn't have the prestige of a Seinfeld, but it was, they were our shows, actually. Um, is there anything, I mean, I, I'd like to get your take on it. Um, you know, as someone who's written for so many shows and such a variety of shows and across so many decades, I mean, you've basically seen it all. Um, 
and nowadays, is there anything that strikes your eye where you're like, oh, I wouldn't, uh, maybe I could, maybe you're not going to do it per se, but you're thinking about your, it sounds like you're always thinking as a writer. Is there anything on TV now that you're kind of like, that'd be kind of cool to write for. I have an idea for it. Anything like that, that kind of strikes your yeah, sensibilities. I, mean, look, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I love Martin short. Okay. And I've been watching only murders in the building. Yep. And he just cracks me up. You know, just just speaking, he makes me laugh. You know, when he's being that pretentious director. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's he's very funny. Uh, that would be a, a a good show to write. But I, I don't really think that way anymore. You know, okay. uh, I'm I'm thinking. Well, actually, I do have a project, a couple of projects now. One is another book about a real incident that happened to a woman in 1939 in Texas where she got flamed for a murder and she was the only Jew in town and these Nazis were trying to frame her. It's a true story. Oh, wow. uh, you know, which is, that's one thing. So in a way I'm into that mystery historical fiction thing, mm -hmm. but at the same time um, I've gotten together with some of the cast of, it was a show called too close for comfort on in the eighties. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we're yeah. talking, I've talked with the production company. We're talking about doing a reboot of it. You know, so I may be doing half hour again. You never know. Huh. Now, yeah. So take us into that. Like the the kind of research it takes to, to talk about a true story, 1939 Texas versus Too Close for Comfort or Seinfeld. Like just the effort and work you have to put into that. Like, what are the differences? I know creatively. They're probably well, similar. There's a, there's a ton of research in anything that's just historical fiction. I mean, because I want to be accurate. I don't want to lie about anything, you know. Like the uh, mango. Did, was the mango a fruit that really helps down there? Or <laughs> <laughs> I, I never really. Actually, you know, the original fruit was a peach. Really? My, my, the reason I'm saying, not that it helped down there. But I mean, the idea <laughs> that I got uh, is that my brother used to uh, love fruit. And in Manhattan, the fruit stands were open year round and he would go buy a peach in the middle of the winter and pay a lot of money for it. Well, back then it was considered a lot of money. And uh, my father would say to my brother, how could you pay that much money for a piece of fruit? You know, and so the then the rest came as what would happen if you got a rotten peach? You know, and yeah. how the thing, the idea it's an, act, it's an act of God if you get a bad you know? peach. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, as far as that's concerned, but you know, I didn't do that much research for the mango. Some some of the shows you have to do some research for. You know. Um, it's well, funny. Yeah. On, 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 oh, we were just doing a reboot of Two Calls for Comfort, a script for it, and uh, I wanted to make sure I was accurate on Instagram, how you become an influencer, and all that kind of stuff. And you got to search that, but it's nothing like the like the research I had to do for like this 1939 book or any of my Mary Handling mysteries, you know, uh, where you really have to you have to get it right. How how far along is the is the two cover coming? I mean, it's not cast, is it? 
No, no, no. Oh. We, we haven't sold it yet. We okay. just put together love to see, a pitch doc uh... and a script, and we're going, going to go out with it very soon. But with this reboot mania that's going on yeah. now, we figure it's a good time to do it. Sure. Yeah. The Ted Knight character is going to be... Uh... Yeah, well, you know, we've got to... Go- see, I'm talking about two for comfort. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. There was, in that show, in the last few years, they had a, a late... They had a baby born, a little baby boy who uh, never got to speak on the show, really, I don't think. But we're using that as the Ted Knight character. Now he's like 36. Uh, okay. You know? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. For the, for the record, fact, last he, week. Well, he was grown up in the house with just him and Ted Knight and, and his mother, Muriel. So he has all of the Ted Knight points of view. You know, right. And, Plus, he's also we're making him close to a QAnon type of believer, you know, and you know, so we're get, making it more modern as far as he believes these conspiracy theories, where the the two daughters who are in the house who now have daughters like them, they're like woke, they're like woke people, so they're constantly in conflict with him. Yep, and uh, the Seinfeld connection obviously is Jim J. Bullock, who was in the airport, uh, right. a Larry Charles episodes before. Yes. Yeah, and, and uh, we we spoke with well Lydia Cornell and Deborah von Volkenberg and uh, and Jim Jim J. Bullock. They all are on board to be involved in it, and uh, we've got these extra characters, obviously, who we're adding, and. Uh, if eventually the older characters move away, that happens, you know, but uh, we want to remind people about the regular show and how everything. And, and uh, we've done stories as to what, what's happened to all those people in those years, what they're doing now. Like Jim J. Bullock has finally come out as gay, you know, <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> what a surprise, huh? <laughs> So well, well, that's a little of what's going on. Well, that's Very awesome. Cool. That's awesome. We're looking Sorry forward to that. that. Yeah, and you talked about this. You mentioned that you never got to, that was it. You did Mango and that was it. I mean, yeah, it was almost such a perfect episode. We wish we, we could have got more from you, Larry, but. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's really nice of you to say that. Yeah. Uh, so listen, I mean, listen, from the Finger Lakes I was busy to Hollywood. Playing, I was busy paying private school tuitions, you know. So <laughs> I. <laughs> hey. You, you got to pay the bills, you know, right. and uh, there's uh, what a resume. I mean, like, like you said, from the Finger Lakes to Hollywood, you've kind of done it all. So um, oh, thank you. Thank we you. just want to thank you so much. Um, My daughter, by the way, is a very successful TV writer. Oh, yeah. I thought you said your daughter was a big fan of this podcast. That's what I was waiting for. I thought you were going to say she's a big fan of our podcast. <laughs> no, she, uh, she went to USC film school and, and, um, Took a class with, uh, she said, she called me when he's done. I think I'm going to take this class with this guy who was on The Sopranos. He's on a big hiatus. And uh, that turned out to be Matt Weiner. Oh, wow. Uh, Big time. And about a year or two after graduation, he got in touch with her a few years. And he asked her what she's doing. And she was working as an assistant at some executive producer and he says, well, if I knew you'd work assistant, you could have been my assistant. And uh, 
she called me, she said, dad, what should I do? What do you mean what you should do? You should say, well, if a job opens up, <laughs> I'd love to work for you, Matt. And within two weeks, she was his writing assistant. They co-wrote the finale that year of Mad Men. They won the Emmy. My daughter at 20 something won an Emmy. And then the next year he put her on staff and she won a Writers Guild Award for her own individual script and boom, 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 all the way. You know, wow. Wow. Now she's got all sorts of development deals with Amazon and HBO. And it's just, it's an amazing fairy tale story, but I'm happy it was her. <laughs> wow. That's, that's proud right there. Unbelievable. Who knew a father, daughter, writer's guild, both, right? Unbelievable. We were told that we were the only ones. That's incredible. I, father, daughter, both won the writer's guild. But, you know, at the, when she won, that's what I was told. But, you know, I'm just saying I was told that. I don't know 100%, you know. <laughs> well listen yeah, i, I mean that's that's unbelievable and uh i'm glad that creativity got passed down so you should be really proud i'm incredibly proud of her well, larry this this was a blast um i wish i could give be more informative about seinfeld for you <laughs> <laughs> no this was great i mean this was great the larry stories um yeah. you know i'm assuming you're still in touch with them like you said you still you're still in contact yeah we're still with in touch. yeah I, any, uh, in fact, I just I just sent him my new book. <laughs> you sent him a co copy of this. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Thank you so much, Larry. All right, guys. Good talking to you. Thank you. Just a lot, Larry. Good luck with the show. Thank you. You too. How's it doing, by the way? You, you're getting a lot of. We're killing it. Well, yeah, we're 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 the number one destination for Seinfeld fans. No, we're getting there. Good for Thank you guys. You. Thank you. All Larry. right. Have a good Thanks time. for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome. Anytime. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.